As a church, we have emphasized the phrase otherish, this idea that we need to be other focused, that we need to make sure that everything we do focuses on others. I'm actually convinced that the key to so many of our problems is actually taking the focus off of ourselves and really putting the focus on others. I think it would solve so many problems that we face in our society. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul really wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to deal with problems that really could be cured by being otherish. Problems where the church was going out and they were forming these factions, these groups, and their groups really focused on themselves. They focused on, here's the things that I have in common with these people, and so we're better than everybody else. Or here's my views, and I've thought about this, so my views must be better than everybody else's. Have any of you fallen guilty of that? I've thought about it, so clearly I'm right. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is stuck in these factions, a church that is stuck in this rut of focusing really on themselves instead of on others. In chapter 8, the Apostle Paul dove into a hard topic. The topic was what to do about meat offered to idols. And the Apostle Paul really, as he dug into that, focused on this idea that you in your knowledge could actually destroy a fellow Christian. That's not otherish. That's not building each other up. Then he detoured for a moment and went into Israel's history and went into the need for self-discipline. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 14 through the first part of chapter 11, Paul gets back to this idea of being other-focused and in the context of, again, food offered to idols. So we're going to dig into this. And what I want to show you, what I want you to see, is that as Christ followers we have actually a great responsibility. And so we must be very careful because of our great responsibility that we are consistently asking the right questions so that our decision-making will encourage, edify others as they follow Christ. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 14 says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything you say but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, 
then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. The Apostle Paul, as he digs into this issue and really, really breaks it down for us, he begins by reminding the Corinthians that the call of a Christian, the call to follow Christ, brings a great deal of responsibility. The call to follow Christ brings with it a great deal of responsibility. Remember, Paul has already addressed food offered to idols in chapter 8. The Apostle Paul wrote about that. He argued in chapter 8, be careful that nothing you do causes another believer to stumble. That was his argument in chapter 8. You're looking at this food that's been offered to idols, be careful. Make sure that nothing you do causes a fellow believer to stumble. But now Paul's going to readdress the question. And he's going to take it from a slightly different angle. Here, Paul is going to remind the Corinthians that Israel fell into idolatry. Actually, that's what he already reminded them of at the beginning of chapter 10. So he's going to remind the Corinthians that sin is insidious. Sin is sneaky. So Paul reopens the case of idolatry in that light. And in verse 14, he reminds them, it's easy to fall from sin. With that in mind, Paul digs into the real issue. He starts by telling the Corinthians, you all are part of something that is much bigger than yourselves. As Christians, we need to realize As followers of Christ, we need to realize we are part of something that is far bigger than ourselves. Far bigger than ourselves. We celebrated the Lord's Supper last week. Paul actually starts talking about the Lord's Supper here in chapter 10. He's going to deal with it a lot more in chapter 11. But here he brings up the idea of the Lord's Supper as a reminder to the Corinthians that they're bigger. They're part of something bigger than themselves. Christianity itself is bigger than these individuals. The church is bigger. The body of Christ is bigger than just individuals. And Paul does this by bringing up the Lord's Supper. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving, which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? We here at Southview refer to it as the Lord's Supper. And the reason we do so is because the word communion has some baggage associated with it. But by doing so, we actually lose something. You see, what the Apostle Paul says is that is not the cup of thanksgiving, talking about the Lord's Supper, participation in the blood of Christ. That word participation is the Greek word koinonia. It's the idea of communion. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, 
we do so corporately as a body of believers. We participate with the Lord's blood corporately. It's actually really important that you don't get to just go do communion at home on your own every week. During COVID, it was really unfortunate. I think we lost something big. When we do communion, it is as a body. It is as a church assembled together, together communing over what Jesus did, participating with him, joining together. Now, it's not some magical sacrament whereby grace is bestowed on us. That's not at all what's going on. But it is a time of corporately coming together to remember, to participate in the body of Christ. We are part of something bigger. We are participants with Christ. Though we are many, we are one body. And this is central to Paul's argument here because we have a great responsibility for each other. A great responsibility to build each other up, to edify each other up. So Paul goes further. In verses 18 through 20, he gives us a really unique perspective. Given that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we participate together, Paul reminds the Corinthians that there is a reality sitting behind our version of reality. And it must always be considered. Here's a a simple principle. When you join yourself together, you do things together. Real simple principle. When you join yourselves together, you do things together. But that's true all over the place. When you join with somebody, you join with them together. Okay, you, you, you don't get to go to somebody's house and enjoy a meal with them and not be with them. It doesn't work that way. If it does, we call that robbery or breaking and entering. Okay? When you join with somebody, you are together with them. And Paul takes this principle and he expands on it. He says, when Israel was making sacrifices, they were joining together with whatever that altar represented. In the case of Israel, God. They were joining with God. And then he lays it on heavy. He tells the Corinthians, so you can't go to somebody's house and eat a meal with them without being with them. That's what I say. Israel, when they made a sacrifice at an altar, they joined with what that altar represented. So when you go into an idol temple and you participate in the idolatry, guess what you're doing? You're joining yourself with idols. And then Paul really puts a theological spin on this. He says, sitting back behind that idol, by the way, there's a spiritual reality. There is demonic forces sitting behind that idol. And when you go and you eat with that idol, Corinthians, you are joining yourself with demonic forces. That's heavy. That's harsh. So what does it mean for us? It means that there is a reality sitting behind our version of reality that always must be considered. There are spiritual forces at work that we must account for. Does this mean that behind every door is a spirit? No, that's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that we must be 
vigilant. It's interesting how the calendar works because I did not realize this until early this week. I had this sermon planned out several weeks ago, but Halloween is coming up in two days. I don't know if you know that or not, but I didn't. Um, (laughs) You need to be careful. Be careful because there is a spiritual reality sitting behind our version of reality. Some of us are going to dress up and go trick-or-treating and have a great time. That's wonderful. Have a wonderful time. But be careful. Make sure that nothing you do makes you a participant with evil. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, be careful that nothing you do makes you a participant with evil. Why? Because ultimately, those who follow Christ need to choose Christ. If you look at verses 21 and 22, Paul tells them, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't choose Christ while choosing evil. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't make sense. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The idea here is we must choose Christ at all costs. Remember, Paul's writing to a group that's stuck on factionalism. One of the factions in Corinth said, we're the strong. We're spiritually strong. We can do things because of our spiritual strength that others can't do. Paul says, really? Really? In your spiritual strength, you're allowed to do evil? To participate with evil? The answer is no. No, spiritual strength does not mean you can do whatever you want to do. Spiritual strength means that you can follow Christ. Have you ever worked with somebody that has a hidden agenda? And you work with them and work with them and you think, you know, we're, we're heading in this direction. And then all of a sudden you find out that they've manipulated everything to get everyone to do something that you're like, oh, I wish I had known that two weeks ago. I would not have participated. I would not have joined in. We must realize that there is a spiritual reality sitting behind our reality. There is a spiritual agenda that Satan holds. Second Corinthians 11 So, we're in 1 Corinthians 10, but 2 Corinthians 11, if I jump over there real quick and I'll read this to you, verses 13 and 15, says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. We must recognize that we are part of something big, something bigger than ourselves. But because we are part of something big, there's also a spiritual reality sitting behind. We must be careful. So let me put this to an action step. Carefully examine your practices and ask the question, are my regular practices consistent with a Christ-honoring agenda? The Corinthians had this big question on their mind. 
Are we allowed to eat food that's been offered to idols? Are we allowed to have meals in these idol temples? Paul started by his first answer in 1 Corinthians 8 was, don't do anything that might allow someone to stumble. His second answer here in 1 Corinthians 10 is be very careful about who you are participating with or what you are participating with. We need to carefully ask ourselves these questions. Are my regular practice consistent with Christ honoring agendas? Am I honoring Christ in what I do? Paul goes on in verses 23 through 24. And the way I've summarized verses 23 and 24 is that the call of Christ, the call to follow Christ, is a call to ask the right questions. We need to be asking the right questions. The call to follow Christ is a call to ask the right questions. There are such things as bad questions. You all know that I oftentimes give Emily a hard time. Um, I'll be sitting on the couch, you know, watching the Huskers or something like that. And Emily will come up to me and say, do you want to take the trash out at commercial? And I'll look at her and say, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I usually let that sit for a couple of seconds and say, yeah, but I'll, I'll go ahead and take care of it, sure. Because I don't want to get in too much trouble. Um, <laughs> there are such things as bad questions. That might not be a bad question, but I tried to make it into one. (laughs) One of the bad questions that we tend to ask is we ask the question, is this behavior allowed? Am I allowed to do this? We need to stop asking the question, is this behavior allowed? That's a bad question. Paul begins with, I have the right to do anything. That sounds like a truism, right? I mean, after all, we have grace. Grace covers a multitude of sins, right? Because of grace, I have the right to do whatever I want. No, not the case. Not the case at all. And really what Paul is saying is that I have the right to do anything is the wrong answer to a bad question. The bad question was, am I allowed to do this? And well, you have the right to do anything. And Paul's saying, no. Wrong question, wrong answer. When I taught at UNL, every once in a while, I would get a bad, bad answer. Uh, You know, you would ask a question, the student would give me the correct answer, and the the fact that, you know, I couldn't mark them wrong, but it was clearly the wrong answer. Like, it clearly, they did not understand what was going on. So, you know, there's a, a joke have you all seen the triangles like in trigonometry? I know I'm probably bringing up like really bad memories. The question is find X and the student draws an arrow and says, there it is. (laughs) Wrong answer to a bad question. But it's the wrong answer. Is this behavior allowed? It's the wrong question to ask. Rather, the question we should be asking, is this beneficial? It's not, is this allowed? It's, is this beneficial? Now, before you ask that question, I want you to understand here that everything within the context here is pushing us. It's not, is this beneficial for me? You don't get to add on the for me to it. 
It's really, is this beneficial for the group? Does this build up the group? Is this beneficial to the community? Actually, the, the Greek word kind of pulls this in. The Greek word that we translate as beneficial could mean advantageous. It, it could be translated as beneficial, profitable, all of those sorts of things. But it actually has underneath it, it carries this idea of to bring something together into a pile. So the Greek word here means beneficial, advantageous, productive, but it it carries the idea of bringing things together in a pile. It's not, is this beneficial for me? Am I going to maximize the amount of money I earn because of this decision? No, the question is really, does this bring us all together? Does this build us up? The question that we need to make sure we don't ask is, is this allowed? Instead, we replace that with, will this bring us together and build us up? Will this edify us? Paul continues that with this question, is this constructive? We need to start asking the question, is this constructive? The opposite of construction is destruction. I'm good at that. Construction, not so much. But I think a lot of us are really good at destruction, whether that's in our lives or our spiritual lives. It's a lot easier to tear something down. We need to be asking the question, is this constructive? The question of, is this allowed? Maybe. Who cares? Is this beneficial? Is this constructive? Does this show that I am looking out for others? That's really Paul's summary in verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Actually, this is very consistent with Christ's teaching. In Matthew 24, Christ says, This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love others. That's what it all comes down to. So my action step, this one's really simple. You'll be able to remember this. Start asking the right questions. We need to ask the right questions. Is this beneficial? Is this constructive? Paul follows up by giving us three principles that can be used to guide the Christ follower in their decision-making process. Because really it comes down to a decision-making process. See, I think a lot of us would love to have a checklist so that we could either choose to follow or not follow it. Think about that for just a second. Wouldn't it be nice if God came and he gave you a list of 697 rules to follow and you'd be good with God? You could at least choose yes or no. Today, I don't care to be good with God. I'm going to break the rules. I think if you think about it, deep down inside, that's actually what a lot of us are are wanting. Because then we can get as close to the line as we can and know that we haven't crossed it. And we're good because we came all the way up to the line and we didn't cross it. That's not how it works, actually. In fact, we're entrusted with a decision-making process. 
Checklists are nice, but there are times when checklists don't cover everything. I use a, when I'm starting up the airplane, I use a checklist to start the airplane because it's the same every time. You go through the same procedures. It's really easy. But when I'm landing the airplane, I do a before landing checklist and I do an after landing checklist. But when I'm landing the airplane, you don't want me doing a checklist. (laughs) Really. You really want me to follow three principles. Put it in the middle of the runway. Make sure there's enough runway at the end to slow down. And make sure you've slowed down a little bit before the tires touch down. That's what you want me to focus on when I'm landing an airplane. In life, we actually need some principles, not a checklist. Because if you're running through life trying to operate on a checklist, you're going to mess up. If instead you apply principles, and I think there's three basic principles that Paul gives us, you're much more likely to be successful. So let's look at the first principle. First principle comes in verses 25 through 27. You are not free to do whatever you want but you are free to enjoy your service to Christ. That's the first principle I think Paul's really highlighting in verses 25 through 27. Remember the earlier context. Earlier, Paul had really said, you shouldn't be eating food in a pagan temple. Don't be doing it. There's idols, there's demonic forces at work. Just avoid pagan temples in general. But here's the next logical question. Okay, so let's say I avoid pagan temples. What about food that maybe had possibly been offered to an idol and I just really don't know? Paul's principle, you're not free to do whatever you want. You do have to be careful. But you are free to enjoy your service to Christ. Quoting Psalm 24, verse 1, Paul says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You are allowed to enjoy the fruit of the earth. So, you can eat anything sold in the meat market without raising a big stink about it. If you don't know, you don't know. And that's okay. I I love a TV show. It's called Stargate. I, I watch it a lot. There's an episode, though, where they go back in time. Actually, there's two episodes where they go back in time. But they go back in time, and they are extremely concerned with what's called the butterfly effect. It's the idea that you step on the grasshopper and your mom's no longer born. Okay? So they're really concerned about maybe changing their timeline, messing something up, and they're super careful. They still mess it up, but they're super careful because they don't want to mess up their timeline. Sometimes I think as Christians, we decide, okay, I need to follow the rules, and so I need to be very careful that I don't mess up anything. Yo, this this meat might have been been offered to an idol. Um, Let me go ask. Oh, they didn't know. Let me me go ask their distributor. We, We take all of these steps to make sure. Paul's principle is really simple. You are free to enjoy life. You're not free to do whatever you want, but you are free to enjoy life. Let me tell you how I apply this, because maybe that will help. I don't drink alcohol. I never have. I never plan to. When I go to Olive Garden, I do not go talk to the chef and make sure that alcohol has not been mixed into any of the sauces. 
okay? I don't care. It's not something I need to be concerned with. I don't need to worry about stepping on a grasshopper and changing the future forever. There are principles we can apply. Second principle. You may need to give up some pretty obvious freedoms for the sake of others. So the first principle is you are allowed to enjoy life. The second principle actually almost feels like the opposite. There are times where you're not. There are times where for the sake of others, you do need to give up some freedoms. Paul uses what's called a third-class condition in his construction in verse 28. Really, what we should say instead of the word but there is we should say hypothetically. Hypothetically. Someone says to you, you know, this has been offered as a sacrifice to idols. That changes everything. You don't get to eat it anymore. You say, okay, I'm going to pass. Because this is something that you keyed in on, because this might be bothering you a little bit, I'll pass on it. I don't need to do this. It's not necessary if it might cause you to stumble. Paul says, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now remember, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the word conscience does not mean your moral compass or Jiminy Cricket. The word conscience means your self-awareness of your spiritual status before God. So there's really two ways we can interpret this. One is this person comes to you and they say, you know, this had been offered as a sacrifice to idols and it really bothers me that you might eat this. And you say, okay, I won't eat it. I do not want to cause you to stumble. I will not do anything that could tear you down. That's the first way that we can interpret this. The second way is actually, I think, more challenging. They come up to you, this person comes to you and says, isn't it great that we don't have to worry about anything because we're free in Christ to do whatever we want and this meat was sacrificed to idols and we're going to gorge ourselves because grace is going to cover it. And again, the right answer is, no, that's actually not the right view. So I'm going to pass on it this time because my conscience, my position before Christ is a servant to Christ. It's not freedom. It's as a servant to Christ. And I will not in any way encourage you to do something that doesn't show service to Christ. The key is my freedoms don't trump others. My freedoms give me the ability to serve Christ. Principle three. The glory of God, the good of many, and the salvation of others are your guiding principles. Let me just read verses 31 through 33 again. It says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that many may be saved. In verse 30, Paul asks some rhetorical questions. Well, verses 29 and 30. 
Why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? Why do I have to defer to another person's conscience? Next question. If I take part in this meal with thankfulness, who are you to judge me? And he answers these questions without answering them. That's actually a good sign that it's a bad question, by the way. He answers these questions in a completely different way. He says, the answer to those questions, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The answer to the question, why do I have to defer my rights to somebody else is really very simple. God's glory. That's our trump card. God's glory. So let me give you an action step. We need to evaluate our decisions through the lens of a Christ follower. And a Christ follower puts God's glory chief. Ultimately, our aim is to be able to tell people, follow my example, is I follow the example of Christ. This is a passage that is very near to my heart because I fail in this all the time. But it genuinely is my prayer to be able to tell people, you can follow me as I follow Christ. You can pattern your life after what you see in me because I will follow Christ. Again, I'll tell you, I fail all the time in this. But I hope that you will make this your prayer to live a life that you can say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us the example of Christ, for giving us the ability to follow Christ, the ability to serve him, the freedom to make Christ the head. I pray that as we go through life, that we would remember the responsibility you've given us for each other, the reality of everything going on behind the scenes that we don't see, and that we would prioritize each other, that we would prioritize godly principles in our decision-making process. Father, ultimately, I pray personally that I would be an example for others to follow, that others might be able to follow me as I follow Christ. I pray as a church within our community that we would be an example of Christ-likeness, that we'd be an example for others to be able to follow that our church might be filled with those who boldly declare, follow me as I follow Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.